What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love our neighbors? How and why should I care about those around me, even my enemies? In our 10-part series titled Loving as We've Been Loved, we're exploring how God's great love for us is the foundation for both our loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Join us as we study the scriptures and see what this looks like in our everyday lives. So today we are closing out a great series that we've been doing together as a family called Loving as We Have Been Loved. Uh, It's been a really exciting year studying together thus far. I hope it has been for you. It has been for me. So before I jump into kind of where we're going to be to close our series on Loving as We Have Been Loved, uh, I want to just take a second and let's trace back our year uh, so far just to kind of give us some context as to what we've studied together on Sunday mornings as a family. And If you've been with us at all this calendar year, you know that we have been sort of wrestling through and studying together on this question of fulfilling the Great Commission by obeying the greatest command. Fulfilling the Great Commission by obeying the great greatest command. The commission that we're speaking of is, of course, Jesus's what's often called the Great Commission for us, his followers, to go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing people, uh, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded, and he is with us to the very end of the age. So that's what we say when we mean fulfilling the Great Commission. And the greatest command that we speak of is what Jesus himself answered, where he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And love one another as you love yourself. In essence, love God, love people. That's the greatest command. So we've arrived at this question, fulfilling the Great Commission by obeying the greatest command, by learning from Scripture how God has intentionally revealed who He is and how His character operates. Learning from Scripture who God is and how His character operates. So to trace back our year thus far, we started off with a great series, or I thought it was great because it was fun to listen to everybody preach it, in the Gospel of John called The Way to the Father. And it was about God the Father's intention and purpose not only to provide salvation through Jesus Christ, His Son, but to reveal who He, the Father, is through Jesus So all that time before Jesus actually went to the cross and accomplished salvation, that stuff meant something too. It was revealing the Father. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to God the Father, the one true God, but through me. And he went so far as to say to his disciples, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. God the Father was revealing himself, the fullness of himself, through his son Jesus. And through the death of Jesus on the cross, for us, for our sins... Jesus then makes a way not just for us to know of God the Father, although he does, but through his death, he makes a way for us to know God the Father. There's a difference. One is position. We have the position of of salvation, but we also have the relationship of having the Father, having been revealed through the Son, Jesus. So, God the Father then, of course, raises Jesus from the dead with his unmatched power and seats Jesus, as we know from Scripture, in the heavenly realms, in the throne room of heaven, Lord of all heaven and earth. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that God says he saves us by. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is that same power that gives us freedom to live in obedience to the Lord. And that is that this Jesus, in revealing the Father and accomplishing our salvation, 
is undisputed Lord, undisputed King, ruler of all. Which then begs a question, how do we live like Jesus is Lord? If we know that he's revealed the Father and he's Lord, how do we live like that? And that's what we next explored in our year, in our series, Because Jesus is Lord, Living Daily for the King. You're like, why did I even come to church all these past 30 Sundays? James is just giving it all to us right now. Uh, that, is, that is, because Jesus is Lord, my life is going to look a certain way as I obey him. My heart, my desires, my time, my priorities, my finances, my relationship, the choices I make, all of these are going to be submitted to obedience to Jesus as Lord, undisputed. He is king. I am the subject. Boy, that's uncomfortable, isn't it? Because we don't really like to exist that way. <laughs> but in terms of Jesus, we do. He is king. I am his subject. He has undisputed say over my life. He is both savior and Lord. And I walk in freedom and salvation to demonstrate my love and obedience to him. And that has ramifications all throughout my life, both spiritually and practically, which we explored in our series, because Jesus is Lord. Which is great because Jesus, Jesus being Lord is a great thing because only a Lord can have the authority to both command you and commission you. <laughs> so the idea that Jesus is Lord is pretty important as we tackle the question or the issue of fulfilling the great commission by obeying the greatest command. We realize the depth and power of God's love shown to us, and we realize the depth of power of God's love within us to love others. And that's where we are in this series, Loving as We Have Been Loved. God's love to us compels a great love in us for everyone. We see what it means to, to love ourselves, to love others, to love our enemies, to forgive, to risk on love. Vanessa preached last week about the decisions, the actions, the choices of love. That love is not just a wishy-washy thing, it's a decision thing. And to love with compassion and to love even the family of God, which is probably the hardest love of all. Is it not sometimes? Or that's just me? Never mind. You can just sit there and be comfortable. So as we close our series, we're going to turn a corner in our year. As we close this series on loving as we've been loved, we're going to turn a corner into, after this, starting to make that study change into what it means to fulfill the Great Commission. Because we've laid out the importance of loving in that command that Jesus has given us. But before we do that, there is one more thing I think that we need to make sure that we love. Hopefully you're on pins and needles. It's not behind me yet, right? Good. Before we go running off to do and fulfill the great commission and do for Jesus, I would like to submit to you that we must love our calling. We must love our calling. So, I love this water, so I'm going to take a sip real quick. We must love our calling. That is, in the midst of all this, fulfilling the Great Commission by, by obeying the greatest command, and it sounds wonderful, and I am excited. What is my specific purpose in all of this? What is my calling? Because we won't work that out and love it. it, it we, we, we won't work that out and wrestle with it unless we can learn to love it and love the idea that it's there, if that makes sense, that you have a calling that you have a calling. Now, I know that when we bring up the topic of what's, what's, what's the calling on my life and what's God's purpose for me, I, I get that those are buzz topics. I get it. So today is not a seven-step guide to finding your purpose in life. I don't have that many steps. Uh, it's not a self-help guide to, to 
discovering this. I'm woefully unqualified to preach that. It's not a roadmap to life success and fulfillment. It's not any book you've ever seen on a shelf, hopefully. I just believe that God wants us to simply arrive at some foundational truths about what you and I are called to. And I think we're going to be surprised at how simple and clear they are. We're simply going to let God reveal and shape how we get more specific into that question for each one of us about ourselves, my calling, your calling, and making sure then that our response to that is that we love it. It's that we love it. You won't get behind a calling you don't love. You won't. I won't. So the question of what's, what, what calling has God put on my life, what, what, what is the calling on my life, I would like to say that's an incredibly value, valuable and valid question and your right to think about it. It's essential and it speaks to everything non-accidental about you. It speaks to the absolutely intentional things that end up making you uniquely you, you know? It, in the context of Jesus being Lord and calling us to love and commissioning us to preach the gospel, there's a calling for you that is just for you. And I believe that question of what is my calling, if we answer it in the right way and we support it by the right foundations, then I actually think not only is it a valid question, it's an incredibly powerful question with an incredibly powerful answer. But I hope, or I, I imagine that you have experienced as well that it can also get pretty convoluted and we can also complicate it pretty quickly, at least I can. Uh, we can obsess about it, probably a little unhelpfully, if that's a word. I'll give you an example. Uh, when I was 16, um, I know this doesn't happen that much in the city, but when you're 16, what happens? You get your license, right? Of course, that was me. Uh, so my granddad, he gave me a, uh, a 1985 Ford Ranger pickup. Its color was rust. And uh, I had never seen anything so beautiful. I named her Ruby, because that's what we do. I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. We name our trucks, okay? Just, just forget it. So after church uh, on Sunday, uh, when I was, I was 16, so I was in the youth group, and our church was about 1,500 people. And man, after church, it was just like exciting time, because all your friends are there from youth group, and like some of you can drive, and you're giving people rides. There's just no other place you want to be, right? Because after church, you get to go and hang out. We so obsessed about God's will and God's calling and going back and forth about that with each other that I kid you not, this exact conversation happened. I'm in the parking lot because it was suburban and we had a parking lot. I pull up and I'm picking up my friend. And he says, should we go to Wendy's or should we go to Taco Bell? These are existential questions. We both sat there for a second, cars waiting behind us to pull out of the parking lot. And I literally said, well, I don't know if I'm called to go to Wendy's or Taco Bell for lunch. I don't know if God is calling me to go to Wendy's or Taco Bell. You can ask me later which one I picked and whether or not it wrecked my life. I'm kidding. We can overcomplicate it. We can convolute it. We can make it about this thing that if like, it's like your calling is this thing that if you miss, boy, you have really wrecked God. <laughs> and you're like out of commission and man, he just doesn't know what to do with you. And let me tell you, we can't love something we've overcomplicated and can't walk in. You can't get excited about something like that. You can only get paralyzed about it. And I'm with you in that, certainly not perfect. So 
Today, I know this is a potentially massive topic, and we're not going to take it like it's massive. We're going to take it like it's simple. There's some simple, essential foundations where we know what God has called us to, so we can turn our heart to love those things that we're sure of, and from that place, we can rightly hear God about the more specific things for you and for me about what he's calling us to be. So we're going to be purposefully simple. I see two principal foundations for God's calling on our lives. Not seven, although you could probably think of five more. The first, ultra simple, you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You are a believer in Jesus Christ. That's the first foundation. We have to love our calling that just simply comes from being a believer in Jesus. And the calling is inseparably tied to and dependent upon our identity in Jesus, not the other way around. Identity is not dependent upon calling. Calling rests on identity. So really quick, what is your identity as a believer in Jesus? We could preach a whole year on this, but we won't. You're welcome. Let's turn to Ephesians 1. It's going to be on the screen behind me. I just want to, let's just look at what the Apostle Paul, writing to the Ephesians, says to them briefly about their identity in Christ. Let's pick it up in verse 3. Remember, Paul is writing to believers here. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us, listen, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one Jesus that he loves. In him, listen, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And then let's skip down to verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That's your identity. And if you're a little overwhelmed, I'm with you. It's It's kind of like God backed a dump truck up of like lavish grace and identity and just kind of like pulled the lever on you and me. That's who we are in Jesus. Lavish grace, redemption of sins, sealed with the Holy Spirit, a great inheritance. Paul overdoes it here and rightly so. Later on in Colossians, he'll say that your life is hidden within Christ in God. That's where your identity is. So, If that's settled, foundationally we are believers in Jesus. What is your calling as a believer in Jesus? Seems a good time to ask that question. What's your calling? Again, we could preach on this forever and ever, but I'm just going to highlight a few things. I'll probably miss two or three that you're thinking of, and they're probably right. But I'm just going to highlight a few, because actually our calling is this. Our calling is this. But I'm going to touch on a few things. Our calling... Resting upon the foundation that we are believers in Jesus is firstly to glorify God. 
God is relentlessly zealous about his own glory. His, his glory is that which is uniquely and unequivocally only him. That's the glory of God, what no one else can be. And if you notice that after Paul drips that paragraph down of our identity in Christ, he ends it with a phrase, all of this he did to the praise of his glory. Paul could have ended and culminated that any way he wanted to. He could have said, um, could have said that, that's, he, all of this he did because, gosh, he thinks we are great and we are worth it to the praise of his glory. God is zealous for his glory. You and I are always called to glorify God, to make the decisions that glorify God, which follows then that you and I as believers are called to worship God. We, we just have been worshiping God. I believe we're worshiping God right now in studying what he's saying to us. Turn to Psalm 111. Who am I kidding? It's going to be behind me. First three verses. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the council of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds and his righteousness endures forever. We are called to declare the greatness of God in worship. Worship of God never ceases, ever. We know that from the picture of the throne room of heaven in Revelation. It never ceases and you and I are called to be never ceasing in our worship to God. So it would make sense then that you and I as believers are called to love God. Let's return to what we've been meditating on and studying all year. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. This is, where, this is part of what our year has been birthed out of. Jesus has just finished uh, uh, kind of zinging the Sadducees, one of the ruling religious classes there. He's finished an argument with them. And let's pick it up in verse 34 of Matthew 22. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees, another religious class, got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Our adoration, our devotion, our attention, our love is due to God. Simply on the basis of being a believer in him. You're called to do that. You're called to do that. And you know what's forever yoked to love? Obedience. Obedience and love. Forever tied together. It's not possible to say you love, but you don't obey the king. It's not possible to obey the king, not love him. They're tied. We're called to obey God. Remember that whole king and subjects thing that makes us so ridiculously uncomfortable, but he's not an oppressive king. We've seen the kind of king he is, lavished grace, redemption, forgiveness, sonship, adoption. That's a good king. It's a really good king. We're called to obey that king. In Psalm 1, very first words of the book of Psalms, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. The God who poured out our identity upon us rightly has a calling for us to obey him. Rightly has a calling for us to obey him. 
I would like to say that what I see from Scripture is that we are called to love others and make disciples. You're probably saying, hey, James, that, uh, that Matthew 22 passage there, you left a little incomplete. Well, let's complete it. After Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. They only ask for one. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. The God that lavishes identity and love upon us says that his people will be known by the lavish love that they carry. That's a mark of the follower of God. So in that framework, then, we have the Great Commission. We have a great gospel to share and disciples to make, but only within the framework of love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Only within that framework. We are called to love others and to make disciples as a believer. And then lastly, I'll just end it here. You're probably thinking of a lot more, but I I see from Scripture that as believers, we are called to a great inheritance. Called to a great inheritance inheritance. This is exciting. We saw at the, at the end of that Ephesians 1 passage where when we received the gospel of truth and believed that we were sealed instantly with the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing an eternal inheritance. So we're sealed with the Holy Spirit for our eternal I- inheritance and we see from Acts 1 that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit for an earthly inheritance as well. Eternal inheritance and an earthly inheritance. Advancing the rule and reign and kingdom of Jesus. That's a great inheritance. And you're called to that as a believer in Jesus. So just any question of loving our calling is first built on the simple foundation of what we're called to as a believer in Jesus. And I would like to say from Scripture that On that foundation is built another very simple foundation. Not only are you a believer in Jesus Christ, we are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the church of Jesus Christ, local and universal. And it's the exact same thing as before. Our calling as the church is tied inseparably to our identity as the church. So let's just ask the same question. We ask, what's our identity as a a believer? What's our identity as the church? Let's start there before we, before we ask the question of calling. Well, in Ephesians 1 and 2, Paul is reminding the Ephesians church in just what we just read of the great work that God has lavished on them through Jesus, the dump truck of wonderful grace that just got backed and poured on to all of us. He reminds them that their salvation is by grace through faith. But he also reminds them of something very, very, very amazing. And he reminds them that they are Gentiles. And that as Gentiles, they once sat outside of the promises of God. They once were divided from the God of Israel, God the Father, the one and only God. But through Jesus, that wall of hostility, as Paul terms it, the dividing wall, has been abolished. And all humanity, you, me, black, white, male, female, all races, all ethnicities, all locations, all times we've lived, 
all humanity has access to knowing God the Father through Jesus. And you would think that Paul would culminate the greatness of that right there. You would think that's a great place to stop, Paul. Man, they are reconciled as believers to Jesus. That dividing wall of hostility is down. That's an amazing place to come in for a landing, Paul. And he doesn't do that. He doesn't. Let's pick it up in Ephesians 2, verse 19. Paul has just explained all of this to the Ephesians. And in verse 19, he says, Consequently then, in light of everything we just talked about, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the, of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him, the whole building is being joined together And rises, listen to this, to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, Ephesians, Gentiles, believers, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see, Paul doesn't culminate the lavish, gracious work through Jesus of our identity. He doesn't culminate it in individuality. He culminates it with the building of those believers into the church. Did you know that you and me as the church are by God's intimate design? That's where Paul culminates it. So our identity in the church is that we are the body of Jesus. We are the picture of the kingdom of Jesus on earth. And scripture speaks much more. It's not not for us to look at now, but scripture speaks much more about the the governance of church and the working of church and the setup of church. And we're not going to... We're not going to get into that now about how church illustrates and operates, but we must be clear. The Son of Man, Jesus said in Luke, came to seek and to save what is lost. That's the purpose of God for the lost. The purpose for the saved is that he is building his church. So for us to stop at an individual salvation, to stop at you are a believer in Jesus, that's stopping halfway in God's foundations. It's incomplete. Not salvation is incomplete. The inheritance is incomplete. We are the church. That's our identity. So what's our calling as the church of Jesus? I know I'm throwing some larger chunks of scripture at you, but if you'll you'll bear with me, I think they're they're fruitful. Let's flip over a couple of chapters to Ephesians 4. If our identity is established, that we are the church, the body of Christ, built as a a dwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, then what what does Ephesians 4 say about our calling. Let's pick it up in verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one, with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, When you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Let's go to verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we church will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, 
joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Again, I'm going to err on being really simple here, but all I see is the calling of the church is maturity. Maturity. A mature people. A free, released, shepherded family of mature Jesus disciples who are doing what? Who are thriving in the things that believers are called to. Who are thriving in the things that believers are called to. Our church should be led that way, attended that way, lived that way, celebrated that way, and fought for that way. Because we are a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's our calling as the universal church. Maturity. That's our calling as church in the city. Maturity. I'm going to keep it that simple for the church. Because I think if, if the church is mature in the things that believers should do, boy, that's a dangerous church. It's a kingdom church. You haven't talked about me yet, James. We haven't gotten specific. I know. Let's get specific. <laughs> See, like, there's a nice little spot up there for another uh, thing. It will fit right on top of that. It's coming. So, built on the foundations of being a believer in Jesus and on being the church of Jesus is the intimate realization that you are you. You are you. And you're only you. And no one else is you. You are you. Sound like Dr. Seuss book. The issue of your calling, remember, is not an issue of identity. We've settled that. Your identity as a believer, our identity as the church, Colossians 3 verse 3, your life is hidden within Christ, in God. Let's not move our identity from there and rest it on a calling that changes with our attitude every day. Let's not do it. Let's keep our identity where it is. I want to say that the issue of your calling, because I'm not going to tell it to you today, spoiler alert. The issue of your calling, I will say, won't compete with the callings of these things. Won't compete. You are not called to not preach the gospel. I just really feel like God is calling me to, uh, I don't really, I don't really need to glorify him. No, no. You are, your calling won't compete with these foundational callings. So what specifically can I tell you about what you're called into? I'm not here to preach about the individual outworking of the calling of God and what that looks like for each of us specifically, and you wouldn't want to look to me for that. But I can say a few things in, in response to that question that I think apply to all of us, and my hope is that we'll go away from today wrestling with some of these things, because this is something that you need to take intimately before the Lord. I've kind of already said this, but I think one thing to do for our calling specifically is don't get off of these original foundations. Remember, God's calling for your life won't take you off of these foundations. Won't conflict. I want to say something else. Don't ignore your passions and desires. Don't ignore your passions and desires. They're not accidental. They're not flukes. They're intentional. And you have them. And don't ignore it. Not mad. Just pointing. You guys seen the movie Chariots of Fire? It's a really old movie. 
It's probably in my top three forever. Chariots of Fire was made in 1981. It was the story of a Scottish runner in the 1920s named Eric Little. And Eric Little came from a missionary family, a very, very fruitful family who went from Scotland to China and had a mission in China and saw many people coming to know the Lord. And Eric Little would, would go to China often with his family as a missionary. And you know what Eric Little also was? He was the fastest man on two legs at that time. He was an incredible sprinter, and he had this style. When he, when he turned the corner and a race was run, he would throw his head back, and he would start to flail, and people kind of would laugh at him, but he was 10 links ahead of anybody. He was the fastest man ever. And his sister in the movie, Chariots of Fire, is so fed up with his running because she sees it as distracting from going to China as a missionary and doing the work of God. And there comes this moment in the movie where it culminates, where Eric Little sits down with his sister, and she says, you've got to quit this running, and the 1924 Olympics are about to happen. And he says, I'm going to go to China. And she goes, great. And he goes, but I have a lot of running to do first. And she said, why? And he said, because God made me to run. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. When I run, I feel his pleasure. Don't ignore your passions and desires. Ask the question, what, when I what, I feel his pleasure. We got to listen. It's part of this issue of calling. Listen to God. I'm not going to go there now, but Psalm 37 speaks of taking your delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's not a willy-nilly, my desire is 15 million bucks by the end of today. That's taking our desires before the Lord, resting our desires in him, taking our delight in him and those desires will come to pass. Listen to God. Take our desires before him. Listen also to mature counsel. Can I just say that? We need to sharpen one another, and we need to listen to mature counsel. You need to find people that you trust, who you know love God, and who know you know love you, and who you know are mature. And you need to bounce off your thoughts and pray with them about the calling on your life. That's foundational to being the church. To go about your individual calling all by yourself and to keep it to yourself is to get off the foundation of the church. Yeah? Not ear-tickling counsel, but mature counsel. And then I want to say too, I think it's key for us to participate. Begin to participate in what we know we're called to. Begin to participate into it. Like being a believer and like we are the church. You know there's a prevailing wisdom today. Uh, I, I feel it. I'm sure you feel it a little bit of that sort of keep your options open type of lifestyle. Not really going to put down commitment anywhere, like even to the point of like what I'm doing tonight versus what I'm doing with my life. Because to put down commitment somewhere necessarily means I'm not putting it down somewhere else. I mean, we sort of don't commit. We sort of keep a distance. We keep on the edge. I'm ready to jump ship if this ship starts to sink. I I was never on it. Yeah, good. I'm over here. That's no way to live out a calling. Can I just invite us on these simple foundations to be all in? Can I, be, can, can I just be honest? Can we be all in? Can we be all in with our relationships? 
Can we risk being all in with our resources, our time, our priorities, our families, our finances, our talents, our gifts, our words, our thoughts, actions? Can we be all in? That's participating and that's loving a calling. Tell me what you've ever done, what you've ever walked into when when you had a posture of this. Stepping back. No. It's a forward-moving posture that sometimes you'll smack your head on the door. (laughs) But it's a forward-moving posture. Be all in. And then let's risk loving what we discover from God. Let's risk that. And, And act. Again, The goal for today is not for me to to express exactly what everybody's individual calling is because that's just laughable. But what I hope is that we as a family can go away and we can think about the foundational things that God has called all of us to unquestionably. And then from that safe and, and divine place can begin to ask the question of, God, in that, what am I specifically called to? And in the meantime, let's be all in. Let's be all in. Thanks for listening to this Church in the City podcast. For more information about our church or to listen to other messages, visit churchinthecity.us.